The House will come to order. Members will be in their seats. The clerk is open. The Kansas roll. lawmakers are back in Topeka making decisions on issues big and small. And if there's one thing I've learned in nearly 40 years of reporting at the State House, it's even the small issues can affect people's lives in big ways. I'm Jim McLean, and this is State House Blend, Kansas, a podcast from the Kansas News Service. To start us out, I'm joined, as I will be each week during the session, by Stephen Caranda, State House reporter for the Kansas News Service, and Erica Hunzinger, the editor who oversees our legislative coverage. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being here. Hi there. Thank you. Let's start with Medicaid expansion. The governor and Republican Senate Majority Leader Jim Denning recently unveiled a bipartisan compromise on that perennial hot-button issue. Stephen Caranda, is this a deal that might actually hold and end the nearly decade-long stalemate on this issue? Well, it could. I mean, Denning's support is a huge change here. You remember, he was one of Mm -hmm. the Republicans who previously helped block Medicaid expansion, but now here he is helping craft this agreement. So the bill has 22 co-sponsors. There's only 40 senators, so that's enough to pass it. Easy math. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. it's not a done deal. I mean, some Republicans who oppose it will try to block it or maybe amend it to include some things they want, like, for example, work requirements. Mm -hmm. And it's going to maybe face some additional skepticism from leaders in the House who are not in favor of Medicaid expansion. But if it ultimately passes, you know, the stakes here are pretty high. It could provide health coverage for up to 150,000 low-income Kansans. Yeah, as we speak, that uh, compromise is being scrutinized by a Senate committee. The first vote on the expansion bill will probably happen in the Senate probably fairly soon. Uh, But, Stephen, there's been talk that Republican leaders in the House who don't support expansion might not act on it until they have what they want on abortion. So what is it that they want on abortion? Well, what a lot of lawmakers want, uh, the short version, is we had a recent state court ruling that said there's a right to abortion in the Kansas Constitution. That's Mm -hmm. new. And people who oppose abortion say that could be used to basically knock down abortion restrictions that are already in our state law with legal challenges. Mm -hmm. So they're moving fast to basically reverse that court ruling by putting in the Constitution that there's no right to abortion, specifically saying that. Uh, But that's not easy. It takes a two-thirds vote in both chambers to advance a constitutional amendment. And that's kind of where moderate Republicans and even some Democrats here come into the mix. They're going to need some support from both, right? Yeah. For Mm -hmm. this to pass, it will take the support of people like Representative Susan Kincannon. Uh, She's a moderate Republican from Beloit, and she spoke in favor of the amendment at a big rally last week. Value them both protects the laws that we have passed, and it allows us to continue to regulate and have oversight over the abortion industry. So while lawmakers may pass it, there's another hurdle that it'll have to clear, and that's with voters, and it'll likely be in the August primary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been two polls, one in 2016 from Fort Hayes State University, another in 2018 from Fox News, and both show about 30% of Kansans are in favor of abortion for any reason, um, 38% in certain situations, and a quarter of them not at all. Mm. Um, but there is a wrinkle politically, and that's going to be middle-of-the-road Kansans, um, and how they feel about three situations. One is when a mother's life is in danger, one is in a case of rape, and the other is in case of incest. So middle-of-the-road Kansans via the Fort Hayes State um, survey says mm-hmm. 96% believe abortion should be legal when a mom's life is in danger, 86% in cases of rape, and 86% in cases of incest. So that might be a a spot that um, could complicate things a little bit. Uh, Quickly getting back just for a moment to the governor's budget, uh, one of the things she's proposing is a new tax on streaming services, uh, Netflix, ESPN+, Spotify, 
even gaming sites. It would generate about $26 million in new revenue. And the governor says level the playing field for some traditional retailers like bookstores. Uh, Eric, is this a novel idea or are there other states doing it? Speaking of middle of the road, Kansas would be pretty much in the middle, um, more than half of U.S. states and Washington, D.C. already have these types of taxes, including Nebraska, Colorado, and Oklahoma. Okay, we'll have to leave it there for this week. Thanks to Kansas News Service Editor Erica Hunzinger and State House Reporter Stephen Carenda. Look forward to talking to you both next week. Thank you. Same here. As we mentioned in our discussion about the goings-on at the State House, a compromise deal has been struck on Medicaid expansion, one that just might end nearly a decade of divisive debate on the issue. Democratic Governor Laura Kelly and Republican Senate Majority Leader Jim Denning negotiated the deal in the weeks leading up to the session. To drum up support for the compromise, backers organized a lunch for business leaders. Megan Barfield was one of the speakers at that event. She's the head of the Great Bend Chamber of Commerce. To prepare, she surveyed her members, many of them small business owners, to find out where they stood on the expansion issue. What did you find out in your discussions uh, with them? (laughs) Um, A a lot of them were, and they told me that they were embarrassed to admit that they hadn't really kept up on it. So they weren't really sure. They were willing to listen and be informed. Mm -hmm. So what I did was forward them some information that was neutral because I wanted to get a true feeling of what they felt from it and saw from it. And the feedback that we got back from it was just that, yes, we have lots of uninsured employees. And if we could get them insured on any level, then maybe they would be here in the office more or they would be here clocked in more, which would then help that business overall. And you're not filling holes when somebody has gone sick or if someone ends up having to quit because of health issues or they're not able to go do those annual checkups and preventative care Mm -hmm. because they don't have insurance. And so they're sacrificing their health and then that has that ripple effect. Yeah, the theme of the luncheon today, if there was one, was frankly that uh, Medicaid expansion is a lot of things, but it's a workforce issue. Yes, it's in every community. Workforce, workforce, workforce. And while it's great to tout that we have low unemployment, that's that looks good on paper. What that means on a ground level, though, is that we're all pulling from a very small pool and we're recycling employees. Right. And you told the story of a particular, and I, I didn't catch the name of a business woman who has about, what, 10 to 15 employees, I, mm-hmm. I think you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she owns an answering service there in Great Bend, and they answer phones when you can't for your business. And she answers for companies all over the country. It's doing well. She's doing well. But I think, you know, she has struggled with workforce, too, and retaining workforce. And she can't, even though the business is doing well, she doesn't offer health benefits to the Correct. people who work for Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. Because it's, she just can't afford it okay. because of the cost of the premiums and such. And so that's something else that I think the expansion could possibly help with. I don't know time frame when you might see those results, but, you know, would... By the uncompensated care, mm-hmm. those numbers going down, would that eventually send premium costs for employers down so that maybe she could eventually offer that as a benefit? But in the meantime, people who she can't afford to provide health benefits to, many right. of them would probably get coverage, might be within that, up to that 138% yes. Yes. poverty and, and threshold. When I s- correct. And when I sent her some of the 
information to look into it for herself. She did say that a number of her employees would be covered under that, you know, the up to 138%. And that would just help their overall quality of life and, you know, help them to be there in the chair working and answering those mm-hmm. phones. So in other words, it, it, it could help make those employees more productive. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more productive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And more productive means you're happier and every, just everybody's happier. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's nice to just take a breath and enjoy life a little bit. Yeah, and maybe help a local business along right. the way. Absolutely. Right? Uh, absolutely. Something that you can endorse as the director of the Chamber Amen. of Commerce, right? Amen. I will endorse that all day long. Very good. Well, <laughs> I really appreciate you spending some time and, and helping me understand a little bit about what the conversation is like out there about what's going right. on here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity anytime to represent Great Bend in that area. All right, safe travels. Thank you. Some backers of the compromise are concerned that expansion opponents might try to rewrite the terms of the deal as it's making its way through the legislature. We'll be tracking its progress and providing updates here on your favorite public radio station and on our website, ksnewsservice.org. We'll close out this first 2020 episode of Statehouse Blend Kansas with a bonus story produced by my Kansas News Service colleague, Brian Grimmett. It's about water, drinking water that comes from wells that could be jeopardizing the health of more than 150,000 Kansans. New research from Kansas State University shows the quality of groundwater in the Great Bend Aquifer in south-central Kansas is a lot worse today than it was 30 years ago. The main culprit is nitrate, which comes from the fertilizer farmers use on their fields. The change that we see is comparable to the most extreme change measured by a nationwide study. So this is a pretty big increase in nitrate. That's Matthew Kirk. He's an associate professor of geology at Kansas State University. High levels of nitrogen in water can lead to serious health issues such as shortness of breath. It can even cause death in young children and older adults. In his research, seven of the 22 monitoring wells Kirk tested exceeded the federal limit for nitrates in drinking water. But the federal limit only applies to public drinking water, what you drink if you get your water from a city. There are no federal or state regulations protecting the water quality of private wells. There aren't even any rules that private drinking wells be tested at all. I think one of the big takeaways, one of the important things um, that I hope people get out of this is that they should have their water tested. Brian Snelton is the president-elect of the National Groundwater Association. He says it recommends private well owners do a basic quality test for bacteria and nitrates once a year. But testing your well is a lot like other home improvement tasks. Some people tend to overlook it. Uh, it's one of those things that you can forget about. It's like changing your car oil or, or you know, getting a yearly service on your uh, HVAC system. While a basic test is going to be fine in most cases, there are other chemicals some people need to worry about. Before contamination forced Randy Williams to connect to city water a few years ago, she always assumed the water she drank from her private well was clean. The lady that sold us the house had us taste the water and hold it up to the light. She was like, see, it looks good. And, uh, and then we had it tested on our own. And since it tested fine, no problems. But it wasn't fine. A toxic plume of cancer-causing dry-cleaning chemicals had tainted the well. It had likely been there for years. The chemical is odorless and tasteless, and basic water tests for bacteria wouldn't show that anything is wrong. 
Williams wishes she would have been more informed about the potential dangers near her well, such as dry cleaners and underground gas storage tanks. Had we known, we probably would have done more testing because, of course, we want to be healthy. Meridian Labs in Wichita is one of a few places that offer comprehensive residential water testing. Jessica Jensen, the lab's technical director, says she often has to walk people through the results of the more complex tests. Some people just need that peace of mind. I'm not giving them any extra information that we haven't already provided for them, but sometimes people just need to walk through. Elizabeth Abla researches population health at the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Wichita. She says that knowledge gap is a big part of the problem. Without some kind of standardized statewide regulations, she says it's too much to expect regular people to fully grasp complex water quality issues. If we are solely relying on uh, quote unquote, educating the public about how to use their wells and which tests they need to be able to run. And I mean, there's it, the expectation is just too grand. She and a colleague worked with state agencies and other stakeholders to develop 18 recommendations for improving and protecting well water quality. But that was a year ago. And so far, nothing has changed. Really, there's no entity that is currently focusing on water quality for non-public water well users, and that is a problem. She worries that without some kind of change, the roughly 150,000 Kansans with private water wells will have to continue relying largely on luck to know if what they're drinking is safe. Brian Grimmett reporting for the Kansas News Service on the critical issue of safe drinking water. That's it for this first episode of the new year. If you've got a minute or two, post a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd really like your feedback. This is Statehouse Blend, Kansas. In Topeka, I'm Jim McLean. Statehouse Blend, Kansas is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations across the state. Our theme music was provided by Nameless Dancers. I'm Ben Stanton. I help with audio production for the podcast. Follow the Kansas News Service at ksnewsservice.org and subscribe to Statehouse Blend wherever you get your podcasts.